welcome back. We are doing part two of episode three, our first episode in our 90s series. I have no clue what I'm going to, like, have this title be numbered, so I apologize ahead of time. I will figure that out. And we are back, and we're going to talk about the late 90s. We talked a little bit about the early 90s in part one, so part two, we're going to talk about something that I'm more familiar with, seeing that I'm probably the one of the younger people here. So... Uh, yes. What's on our itinerary? Let's start. <laughs> All right. So here's what we got. So, you know, with the late 90s, what was neat about it is we saw uh, 3D gaming break in. So we've just gone from 16-bit 2D, and we're busting into 3D. So we've got the PlayStation, Nintendo 64, and somehow the Sega CD. Um, let's, let's recognize also that there were some three-dimensional processing. There was some three-dimensional processing done on Super Nintendo. That Star is true. Fox. Late Star Fox yeah. Two. I know Star Fox Two, which was not re uh, released until like the yes. Nintendo. Yeah, the original Fox. Star Fox is the same exact way. It looked just oh, like Star it? Fox oh, yep. with mm -hmm. heavy polygons. Yep. Um, and then somehow some wizard was like, "Dude, we can run Doom on the Super Nintendo. Let's go!" We're like, all right, whatever. So there is a Doom build for Super Nintendo. But well. Doom doesn't use polygons uh, in a traditional sense. Ish. Yeah, it still it still step. appears 3D. Yes, it still appears 3D, so it doesn't matter. Continue. I'm sorry. I just wanted to recognize Super Nintendo. We're, the PlayStation. Yeah, so we, yeah, we're talking about you know 64-bit, which was what, how 3D comes in. 64-bit processors, mm -mm. and so we're going in. PlayStation's 32-bit. 32-bit. I'm sorry. Yeah. So 64 was 64-bit. PlayStation's 32-bit. But here's what's neat, though. We trav we trans with the exception of Nintendo. Sony introduced CD-ROMs. So CD-ROMs were mm -hmm. now being. <clears throat> And Sony CD-ROMs were a bit different. They had the black bottoms to them. They were kind of a specific format. They weren't like the actual CDs you would buy for music for, for those that don't uh, know. And uh, Nintendo stuck with cartridges, and Sega also had CDs with their uh, mm -hmm. Sega CD. I mean, if they didn't, and they called their console Sega CD, I feel like that'd be kind of dumb. Um, false advertising. Yeah, false advertising. Yes, we could say false advertising. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, it's Sega CD cartridge drive. Yeah. There you go. Well, now with the with 3D, this was this was neat. This is kind of where I, I went from 8-bit to 3D. So this was freaking mind blowing to me. I'm sure. See three-dimensional environments because I, I skipped the 16-bit era. Um, so as someone who first experienced, I was like, oh my god, you know, you see the details, the you know, the polygons, the worlds. You start to kind of see trees and stuff. And I mean, if you look at it today, it's Definitely yeah, pixels. like you look back and we make fun of Squall for being the most handsome man in the room and it's just a blob of pixels. <laughs> he still was. I don't care what anybody says. I still agree with the original Renault statement. I remember like playing, I think it was like the dancing scene from yep, 8. That's what we're talking like about. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. And I, I remember playing that for my friends and being like, this is amazing. This, this is, is so a movie. realistic. Yeah. Yeah, oh, this could be real people. Fantasy games really um, showed me like the capability of gaming, like how. Oh yeah, definitely. It just, like it just yep. blew my it blew my mind. I also like to I like compared to Sonic and Mario. Yeah, totally. So um, I yeah, like I wanna... to recognize. Go Dang ahead, it. continue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say something to, to build off of something you said earlier is, uh, you know, they mentioned the 64-bit and then you reiterated that Sony is actually, the PS1 is a 32-bit console. But if you ask anybody who doesn't actually know that, whether N64 or PlayStation 1 had better graphics, people are almost always automatically going to stay PlayStation 1. And the reason is, is because despite the fact that the hardware of the N64 is so much better, 
a CD made it so Sony didn't have to compress files right. the way they did in a cartridge, which is why uh, is one of the main speculations that that Square Enix decided Seven should be a PlayStation game. Yeah. Uh, because they were allowed to do uncompressed, pre-rendered cutscenes, <clears throat> despite the fact that Cloud looked ab- Cloud as a polygon looks disgustingly ugly, yeah. and Mario looks gorgeous. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, oh, like yeah. That's a, that, I think that's a person. I don't know. It's got like a yellow French fry in its say, head. I used to call them oh. Legos. <laughs> hey, but I, I want to give Square some uh, some credit because. The reason that Final Fantasy VII looked several teams that weren't communicating with each other, but this was their first foray into 3D, and they had no idea that texture mapping was possible on PlayStation. So what you're getting is pixels laid over a polygon, but there's not actual texture mapping on any of the characters. That's why they're just the chests and stuff open. Uh, The characters themselves are all just a single colored polygon. There's no actual textures on them. Um, and that's why 8 is so drastically different from 7 was because by that time, Square learned that you could texture map onto 3D surfaces with the PlayStation on a much larger scale. And so Final Fantasy 7 was, was an unfortunately... That was their another experiment, thing, really. Another <laughs> thing about 7 is 7 started as a Super Nintendo game built with the Final mm-hmm. Fantasy 6 engine. Yes. Uh, this picture right here. That's so funny. I always wondered why they were just so bad. They're not that far right. apart. So I always wondered why it was that so dated model different. of of Lock um, so from um, yeah. from Six is is actually what Cloud started as. Yes, and in fact, to begin making Final Fantasy VII, the team started by making Final Fantasy VI in 3D. And they actually, you can go online and see <clears throat> some of the, I think it's just screenshots, I don't think there's any video. But you can see screenshots of the, the original Final Fantasy VI battle in 3D, and the characters look exactly like the characters from Final Fantasy VII. Big block, uh, square, Legos. That's the best way to put it, Legos. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine, like, what... A Final Fantasy VII game, what it would look like if they had like kept that path, like yeah, just trying to. So I might out. have to make this in dreams. Oh great, another seven million hour project. <laughs> Man, you've, you're committing to a lot of projects here. You've got a I carrot am. project, Final this. Fantasy VII, and a Tomb Raider. You're you're you I forgot that. about carrots. Yes, the carrots is most important. That actually needs. Yeah, to be it is. But yeah. from a hardware perspective, too, there's so many other things besides just CDs. But CDs For created sure. another problem. Um, that it created a problem, uh, even though it was a solution. Uh, a CD made it so that they couldn't have internal saves. Right. So they had to have an uh, uh, an external memory unit. So that's how we got yes. the invention of the memory card. It's the same yep. thing with the N64 card. They found that it was cheaper <clears throat> to have a rewritable memory card for games that needed a bigger save than it was to put one in every cartridge. More so, memory cards weren't cheap, right? No, no. no I no. I had this discussion with bucks. was it Matt where nobody had nobody actually had no I forget who it was on Twitter nobody had the first party Nintendo memory card because it was so goddamn expensive oh, it was like fifty dollars yeah. everybody had the, like the generic one with the red label that was from like Blockbuster um, and going back to what you were saying about graphics compared a thirty two bit PS one and most people will say that the graphics are better is because despite the fact that there was no anti aliasing on PS one and games look really really jagged as a result they're crystal clear in their jaggedness compared to an n64 game which had is the only console which had forced anti-aliasing and it the solution was to alias the entire screen as a single unit and so the entire 
what you were seeing in the in on the screen was a blurred version of what the N64 was actually processing. So mm. every single game came out looking really blurry, and that's why is because there was an anti-aliasing solution being done on our hardware level automatically. Mm. Okay. Now we have which um, made the games look worse, unfortunately. Yeah. So so we have all these varieties of them, and they make them, and you know we're seeing kind of more uh, open worlds and the ability to really do some exploration. That's going to bring us in kind of to the next is because we kind of just covered our we have the yeah we have 3d platformers and puzzle games this is kind of where the mm -hmm. rise went because they had space to do exploration now you know 16-bit was you know you you had overworlds and stuff like that and you could do little dungeons but this was like 3d immersing into it and you know 2d was largely just scrolling 3d yeah. was where can, we can go anywhere exactly we can go yeah, anywhere Mario comes out with so yeah, we have Nintendo comes out with Super Mario 64 in 1996, and let's be honest, that blew everybody away uh -huh. um, at the time it came out. Critically acclaimed, everything. I mean, it was neat. Mario is going around. You have Princess Peach's castle. You have all these little mini hub open it's worlds. By far, I think my and favorite Mario game was Mario. 64. I will die on the hill that that game controls like a friggin' <laughs> dream. I love the controls in that game, and you know what? People will insist that Mario Odyssey doesn't play. Yes, it does. You're just playing Mario 64 again. And you just hate Mario 64's controls because they were the first version of that. But it's they were so amazing. They were so good. The camera has not aged as well. No, nothing has aged well about the game. I mean, it's still a really enjoyable game. Oh, it's fun. It's still fun as hell, but let's be honest. It didn't age as well as we had hoped. It's frustrating. And back then it was like Mario's always been hard, and now it's like, man, this is not the pinnacle of game design. It's hard because the camera doesn't work, and Mario doesn't work, and... But again, yes. Now I we have. Control, in so. addition to that, though, we also had the creation, and this is the same friggin' year too. So we get Super Mario sixty four in the same year, but then we got another title that was actually largely unknown until it was revealed at uh, E three that same year, and that's Tomb Raider. So Core Design had been developing this crazy puzzle platformer, three D whole thing, whole thing with Tomb Raider, and like nobody hardly knew about it until it was mm -hmm. like announced, and everybody wanted it and went crazy, and. Mm -hmm. It became, you know, Matt and I is one of our favorite franchises. Both of us um, spent countless hours in our youth and still to this day um, playing them. But mm -hmm. it was different. And Laura was built, yeah, with the polygons and the joke with the triangle titties and all that, um, you know. And they couldn't even do her. Uh, they couldn't even give her the full ponytail. She looked like no. she has a little bun on her hair. In the she first has a game. bun. Yeah, she rolled it into a bun. Yeah. And um, but it was neat. You had these like tombs and you had these interesting environments. You had no levers interaction all these puzzles the, the vertical world. movement yes vertical movement cgi cutscenes. it was yeah. she could backflip sidestep she could shoot things she could do all this crazy stuff and you know it, it was kind of uh the beginning of tank controls too but the tank controls yeah. for it aren't bad um no no they, and they still function pretty well compared to some other tank control games yeah you had these really beautiful environments at the time they really focused on making these tombs unique designs and using and realistic the, yeah, as, as real as it could be yeah it was it all kind of came in and you really thought you were exploring ancient greece peru yeah. all mm -hmm. of that yeah. and it had a narrative too which was neat they did cgi cutscenes to set up the narrative and, and different aspects of it and, it and you just... know what's crazy in remaking that game uh i am working with jen well jennifer millward who does the audiobooks for the angel of darkness tomb raider series did the voice of Lara Croft and all the cutscenes for me for Dreams? Oh, wow, that is really um, nice. Yeah, so all the no all the grunts and stuff that you hear are Jenny Millward doing Lara Croft. That's and uh, 
There's only 14 minutes of cutscenes in that game to push the entire narrative. And that's crazy to think about that too, because as a yeah. kid, you think there's so much more. But yeah, yeah. playing them as an adult, you realize there's and, not. And that includes dead air. So there's really only like seven straight, seven total minutes of dialogue in the entire game. Which is, I think it's, it's super interesting that I feel like <clears throat> games then required a lot more imagination of putting things together mm -hmm. than they do now. Like, because there was so little actual like story progression, like with Tomb Raider. Right. So you kind do of you have think to that, that. Do you think that part of that is maybe because we didn't have any way to... The, the, if you got Tomb Raider, there was really nothing else released around it. So you really focused on Tomb Raider. Nowadays, there's 10 games released a month so that you want, that you want to play. So do you think that's maybe because we we had forced ourselves to get more immersed? We We didn't have other games to play. And so... When I was learning, when I was playing Tomb Raider, I would go, you know, and learn them as much as I could about Peru and the city of Vilcabamba and whatever I came across in Tomb Raider, I would purposefully immerse myself in because there was nothing else to immerse myself in. Does that make I, sense? I would like to say, too, that we were a lot younger then, too. A lot of us have a it's lot true. more priorities now, such as work, kids, family, yeah. and all of that. So I can see that being a thing as well. That's uh, true. And it's why we have to, like, force ourselves to go super fast. Like, I dread playing a new 40-hour game. Yeah. Like, I dread well, I that. It's, it's, well, one thing that, that, that I think of, too, is, right, is they were much just, much like the idea of, like, nobody had a 3D game yet, right? Like, we didn't have targeting systems until right. Ocarina of Time decided we needed one, right? Right. So everything was generated by a need. There's no catalyst for these people to go on for right. a narrative in a video game. Go back and look at, like, even, like, you know, f if you think about it, Final Fantasy, like, let's say, like, Final Fantasy IV, Final Fantasy VI, right? Even before the 3D. Uh, storytelling was, was in there, but it was still just yep. dialogue boxes, right? There was very yes, little cutscenes. Right. Uh, the same thing with anything. Driving a story in a video game uh, without having the, the idea of how to do it uh, it is really, really hard. Think about, like, I don't know if anybody had ever played older Shin Megami Tensei titles, right? Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. are too story-driven for the yeah. technology. That yeah. stuff does... They wanted to do stuff that needed 3D imaging, yeah. which is why Persona 5 is so popular now, is because they can do the, the, the whole cinematic experience. But they wanted to do that back then. It doesn't work. So they have to try and create... Uh, a narrative that works and keeps the player engaged while mm -hmm. still dealing with the limits of technology. And there was no catalyst, so they kind of just sticking things at the thorn of the wall. Look at what sure. they did with the first three Resident Evil games, right? Yeah. They made uh, just a, just a little cutscenes with no dialogue in them for the most part. Um, the no voiceovers, just like in Seven, where it's just a a, a text box on the bottom or like white um, subtitles of what Sephiroth yes. was saying or whatever, and that's what we had for story because that's the best they could do at the time with the technology. So do you think that, because actually. we read it? Do you think because we read we had to read so much that was additionally immersive versus yeah. watching somebody oh, yeah. do a flip? Like you had to. You, it's like when they tell you, like, how do you teach a kid how to do his multiplication tables? Right? You have to sit right. there and write them out over and over again. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You're reading it back, right? If you sit there and you read something you wrote down, you're going to withhold it better. You watch it right. as a cutscene, maybe it gives you a feel and the goosebumps and it sticks with you for one reason or another because maybe you like the music. Right. But it, it doesn't ingrain into you the story when you have to read all of it. Exactly. You read all of it, I'm you gonna, remember more. 
I'm going to add a point to that because I think you make a very good point. I remember, and this is because I've been replaying all the OG Tomb Raiders recently. Mm-hmm. And here's what I noticed. So the first one, you kind of get, you get, you actually get an actual setup for the game, by the way. You know yeah. what Lara is going after and you immerse yeah. yourself in the world by fat. But I noticed two, three, and three, if you play them, they don't give you nothing. They don't give you anything. You get a quick CJ. She's like, she's jumping in it. You don't even know what she's after. You don't even care. Well, you don't until that, and that's kind of what made them so, you didn't know what you were after until about a level or two in, and then all of a sudden you were introduced to not only the expanse that, like in part three, for example, when Lara goes after the Infata Stone, she didn't know until she met that uh, Scottish dude that There was more to this stone, that it came from some meteorite. So you were really just on this tiny mini-adventure Lara was going on to get this tiny stone that turned into something more. And you have to get to the narrative. And I think 2 and 3 both kind of did that. Well, no, they did. And what my point of it being is, though, is that we didn't worry about that as much because they could establish it later. Like, we were excited with... Jumping into Tomb Raider 2 as a kid, it's like, I don't even care. It's Tomb Raider. I'm excited. The exactly. level right. I, think, I think right. having a franchise name was very important back in the 90s. Like having like totally. Final Fantasy oh, yeah. or like Spyro or Crash or like anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so the point, yeah, the point I'm making for this one is, so yeah, as a kid and stuff, you don't have to worry about that in the 90s because it was simpler. But when you go back and play them as an adult, you see how narratives have progressed and all the backgrounds and stuff. Yeah. I remember going back to Tomb Raider 2 and 3 and I'd be like, Oh yeah, they don't even actually tell you why she's doing this or why she's going after a dagger or right. Yeah, yeah. Something the- just came into my mind too, thinking about it. A lot of the story stuff, right, is like uh, is is almost optional, right? Like like think of think of something like Super Metroid or Mega Man X, right? Mm-hmm. What's the story behind that? You know, I know, you know, you went and did the research, but if you think about it, right, you don't know anything about Samus or Mega Man or Zero or any right. of those characters in those games unless you read the manual. Otherwise, right. you turn the game on, you're a shooting robot. Go have fun. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, um, I played, I don't know if you guys have played it or anything, but it was on Sega called um, Vector oh, Man. Yeah. Yes. I, I still don't even really know what it was no, about. What was it? I just, robot. You're in space shooting aliens. Yep. Like, you're made of balls. <laughs> you're made of 3D balls. That's yeah. all I cared about. It was cool. You're, you're a robot and you shoot aliens. Yep. But let's, I think fun. we look at it though as the 90s were focused on gameplay. We could immerse ourselves in a gameplay and we didn't care about the story because we were mm-hmm. basking in these different environments and we were just right. having fun. Like, you know, Nintendo never needs to write a story for Mario because it's the same damn thing every time. We yep. know Pete got captured. Let me go play with the levels. It's all yeah. about levels. If you design. wanted and a it, story, you played an RPG. In, in, yeah, a nutshell, exactly. right? in a Pretty nutshell, right? Pretty much that was all you had. If I was a developer in the 90s making a video game, I'd be afraid to make it too story-driven because I would scare the players away. Yeah, So yeah, totally. it, if anything, the lore in, in video games in the 90s is pretty much optional. Yeah. Exactly, because you don't have to get attached to it. Some of them were deeper right. than others, but you realize with Tomb Raider back in the 90s, it didn't matter if you have this extensive dialogue. And I go back when I've been, you know, we've been enriched with narratives for everything now. Obviously, we know Sony has gone full, like, narrative focus for all their first-party games for the most yeah. part. Um, and I go back and I look at these Tomb Raider games and I'm like, God, I want to know more. Like, I was like, yeah. man, I wish that we could have a fleshed-out remake of these. Like, I really wanted to know mm-hmm. the extensiveness to it because it wasn't the same. But and I'm like, as a kid, I didn't care about that. the appeal of remakes of games from the 90s, too, is the fact yeah. that they didn't give us all this information. And now, are the younger generation who relies on having more information, like like some, like, Gen Y, you know, <laughs> kind of folks. Yeah, yeah like... <laughs> We're just really spoiled. But Let's to be fair, but to be fair... It was in the 
uh, magic of a narrative that I finally discovered. So basically, as much as I love Tomb Raider to death, and Lara Croft is my queen and mother, no matter what, Final Fantasy VII is still my favorite game because it was the first game that smacked me in the face and said, you're an adult and you're going to play adult games and this is a story and you're going to get into a story and you're going to learn about <laughs> these people and you're going to get sad and you're going to love these people and you're going to think about them throughout the rest of your day. And though I always like thought about Lara Croft, she was always in my head, I never right. really had more than she was an aristocrat yeah. that got in a plane crash and became a Tomb Raider and wrote books. That's yeah. really all I got about that's her. How it was and I love her to death and her drive. Right. But Final Fantasy VII, it was like, I have to know everything about everything. Why is that thing sideways? What happened? What is this react? What is this old reactor? Everything mattered suddenly to me. And I think that's going to bring world. us into our next topic with this is the pinnacle of RPGs. So, you know, we, see, we saw a lot of, you know, 3D platformers puzzles. Obviously, some that we didn't get to mention are, you know, Spyro Crash. Um, Klonoa, I will throw Klonoa and die on that hill. Klonoa. Anyway, Spyro so there was so Tomba. but we'll talk Tomba. about that in our. I know, episode. I know. I'm not going to go on a tangent about we're it. We're going to go. No. We're going to talk about. We have three other episodes on the 90s that yes. we're doing, so we're going to yes. do our next episodes early games and all that, and then like all about the early 90s and yes, then we the late, late 90s, 90s the and then we're going to do an episode about games. So we're just touching on the main important points right now. To go back yep. later and go and draw out, hey, this is what we were talking about in our overview episode. We yeah, so we're, we're going to see a really big in-depth as the different parts. Yes, we're just breaking out some generics here today. Yeah. And we did get into some specifics of some things, but we'll dive really and deep And we love deep. feedback, too. So hopefully we get some feedback before our next episode about what you guys would like to see as well. Yes. So yes, feed us anyway. back. Anyway, back to Pinnacle of RPGs. So, Pinnacle of <laughs> RPGs. So, I think Matt was describing the investment of Final Fantasy VII. So, Final okay. Fantasy VII, I think, broke into the Pinnacle of RPGs. But there because... were a lot of different RPGs, too, in the yeah. There days. were. So, and there yeah. were great Ta stories. Tactics yeah. came out around seven, and tactic Final Fantasy Tactics, and it was always downplayed by Final Fantasy VII. And I, I felt so bad, because it's such a good game. And, like, eight came right after seven so like i get it seven's like the big deal but there's so many other like tales of destiny absolutely like, no we, but, we but again like we were saying earlier but, seven yeah. kind of was the one that everybody got yes right. final fantasy seven was the first 3d final fantasy game and it got a lot of new people on the board right. and mm -hmm. and that. basically it sold it sold a crap ton like it it, it right. made the series mainstream at that point that was yeah. the one and that there's a historical significance to that and that's why a lot of people have the touch to it that people it's experience the, uh, it for many of yep. us that the gateway drug to rpgs exactly Absolutely. yes it was it the gateway drug to story driven gaming to me there, uh, there's a lot of other ones too Dang. like legend of mana that was yeah yeah mm -hmm. so like, interestingly enough one of the, the, the i talked about fire. one of them about how um how the 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 rendering of the cutscenes and and the non-compression of data made it easier to develop on the playstation as a whole but development costs on the playstation development costs were everything in the 90s if if you couldn't afford to make yeah. the game how are you going to make the game so one of the problems is right. how nintendo does things in their architecture is way less open it's like apple versus android right 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in the 90s, it was a big deal because developing a game for the PlayStation was cheaper as a whole. Not to mention that, you know, that stupid seal of quality. I have a copy of Majora's Mask right here on my yeah. desk. Yeah, it's absolutely. the Nintendo seal of quality, right? Uh-huh. Uh, even on Nintendo non-first party stuff, that was a licensing fee that Nintendo charged people. Sony wasn't charging anything. They just wanted a cut of the profits. Yeah. So if you were developing a game, you weren't sure if you were going to hit the market, especially if you were in Japan. Sony was the way to go, especially with something as high development yeah. cost as an RPG. That made story-driven, long-dev cycle games like RPGs a haven on the PlayStation 1. Yeah, because I don't think there's no, nearly as many RPGs. I can only I think mean, there's of no... and Ogre Tactics on 64. That's it. What? Quest 64 and Ogre Tactics are the only like true, oh, true yeah. RPG, RPG, JRPGs that I can think of that are on the 64. Everything else in that area time frame is PS1. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I mean, we yeah, I mean, Sony was the JRPG machine um, of the late '90s, whereas Nintendo obviously dominated the early. 90s. They still are the. Yes, Sony is the JRPG king now. Whereas <laughs> Nintendo started as the JRPG king, you know, they got they got pretty yeah. much every JRPG. Um, mm-hmm. um, with the Super, uh, you know, original Nintendo and Super Nintendo, that's where you played your JRPGs for the most part. Sega was yeah. kind of in the background, and they had a few good ones, but. If you were playing a JRPG, there was just you were so many good up. games in '96 and '97. Like, mm-hmm. like no, there were like such 90s... good years. Yeah, it was just the golden age of gaming. Yeah. It was one of the most revolutionary times in gaming because people had to be really, really creative, and they came out with a variety of stuff. And you saw so many new franchises. So many people took risks. Do you, you know? remember the fear? of game of 3d gaming in the 90s it's there was actually this legitimate fear because of course all you got to do was read about uh the preview of a game from like game pro or electronic gaming monthly or nintendo power and developers largely had no idea how to make 3d games so you had there was a chance you were going to pick up the game and it was just going to be an absolute piece of shit unplayable mess like superman 64 we just didn't know how to make 3d games yet and how to make them control so every game you picked up played drastically differently and there was this fear of oh my god is it even going to be a playable game back then right i mean which did not exist in in... and unlike today we had to really rely on those like reviews right like like today i feel like reviews are a novelty but back then, I feel like yeah. you 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 weren't gonna spend like fifty dollars on a cartridge or a CD just to find out it was garbage. Exactly. And your parents, yeah, you were, you couldn't you couldn't afford to take that risk back then. It wasn't mainstream enough. You you know you were lucky to have right. You know maybe up to five games a year. And we don't have like we didn't have Twitter to go like yell at the like company yeah. and be like ah you screwed this game up and like go I mean, fix the- it damn it go go give and us there that were no they patches. Yeah, the closest I think we had were really like the game, and it was unplayable. That's that, permanent. And yeah. then, it like if we wanted to try it, we had to just hope that our local game store mm-hmm. that we could rent it from would actually have it. And if not, I mean, there we can't. You cannot take the risk. There was a. Yep. Yeah, Blockbuster was about the only way. Uh, could... At the Game Force, they just had like they had. And a PlayStation set up on three TVs, and whatever they were playing on the TV, this is how I saw Tomb Raider. Whatever they were playing on the TV was what you got to see playing. And it was usually one of the people that was working that was playing the games. Um, but that's how I found games like Resident Evil. I got to see it played for 
probably two minutes before my parents were fed up with sitting in the store waiting for me to decide for something. So we really didn't get a sample of anything because, I mean, for me, renting was well, even a novelty. We had the height, that was the height of demo discs, too, Oh, yeah. Though, for sure. We don't have that anymore, but back the then, um, demo discs. that was really the only way you could experience well, yeah, it. If you notice, I know, seriously, went, bring back demos. Yeah, so demo discs. Yes, demos are game, gone. Some games the, had, uh, de- yeah, you have, if you bought a copy of one game, you could get a demo for another one in it. And in fact, one of the PlayStation versions came with, with the demo disc for Final Fantasy VII, which is I, I have the Final Fantasy VII demo disc still in my PlayStation. Yeah, box. me too. Yep. Um, and it's actually really interesting too because some of those demos were nothing like the actual release games. Right. Oh yeah, the Final Fantasy VIII demo. Um, I had played Final Fantasy VIII before I um played the demo, oh. but I didn't have the game. My cousin had the game, so. I got the demo. It was like from Pizza Hut or yeah. something, and it came with like six different PlayStation games for, on it. Did you for doing the and, reading uh, stuff? Like you did all your reading stuff at school, and you took the reading stuff to Pizza oh, Hut, and then they gave yes. you yes. See, yeah. first yeah. Yeah. That. <laughs> yep, and then yeah. it came with a demo desk. Um, but no, the yeah, yeah. So the I remember that stuff too. But um, the Final Fantasy VIII demo was totally different because you like had Renoa in your party and you already had Leviathan and I remember just being like what <laughs> Square did that on purpose um there was actually even different music in the in the demo the music was actually copyright copyright striked by Warner Brothers who was making the movie The Rock um and the and if you listen to the original demo's music of when he's I, I call it Dole. I don't know if you guys call it Dalit, the Dole, city he's, yeah. they smash into. Um, when he smashes I into that city, play. yeah, I do too. <laughs> is different because they got copyright striked by Warner Brothers because the song that Nobuo Matsu was writing uh, that you hear in the demo is so similar to the Rock the movie that came out at the same time as Final Fantasy VIII. So Square actually had to remove the song, but the reason that the demo itself is different is because they didn't want you to play any of the game. They didn't want you to experience right. any of the actual story that exists. They wanted in the you game. to have an idea of what you were playing rather than the game itself. What you're going to play, here's a really great summon animation that destroys anything Final Fantasy VII ever could have showed you. Now go buy the game. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on now to. Uh, now we have uh, back to handheld gaming, believe it or not. So now we've, um, in the late 90s, handheld gaming. Uh, it moved to color, so we got a nice upgrade to the Game Boy, and we got the Game Boy Color. Now, it's still 8-bit, though, so um, the handheld game uh-huh. is still fucking 8-bit, but now you have, you can play your 8-bit games in color, and you have Pokemon, and that was kind of the start around there, is the start of Pokemon, and Pokemon. Uh, yeah. My grandma used to yeah. call that Pokemans. Pokemans. Pokemans, yeah, Pokemans. <laughs> yep. Um, so we have all of that, which is fun. And then um, Game Boy Colors, I think they started coming out with like a billion accessories for them too. You had the attachable lights, magnifying glasses, mm-hmm. uh, rechargeable battery packs. It looked everything. like you had a mini like like ensemble of gadgets, just like oh. you're like a spy kid or something. Oh, it's so true. And you had so you had like your carrying case with like your Game Boy, your I'm cartridges. I'm so cool, guys. Yeah, it's like it was like your it was a kid's version of a fanny pack. You know, you had the Game Boy <laughs> case and 500 accessories you all had on your, like, your little face. Your, your connecting cables cousin. and yeah. your your little 
Your uh, Game Boy camera. <laughs> your rich suburban cousin looked like a four foot tall Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Utility belt and shit. Oh my god! Well, then, then, then you just go into the Virtual Boy, and that's a whole other mess. Yeah, we don't, we don't yeah. talk about the Virtual Boy. <laughs> oh my goodness. We're not. We're... We pretend that doesn't exist. But I yeah. really feel Nintendo did really well with all of with the Game Boy and all of that, and actually, like, it it kind of brought in this whole thing for the 2000s. I'm not going to talk about this long. What with like the Vita or the PSP, sorry. PSP was first for Sony. Sony tried to get into that market too and I felt like Nintendo was the pioneer for that. Yeah. yeah. Sony had trouble with and we won't Yeah, I don't talk about that, but like I, I just, think they're the only ones that could or that succeeded in the handheld era awesome. because for PSP them, yeah. really didn't do very well. I mean, no, it sold it's... 70 million units, but it's not good for a PlayStation. So one of no, the things... Like, PSP sold a lot, and it was... It's, I wouldn't consider it not successful, but it wasn't... Well, I didn't mean, like, it didn't sell well. I meant more, like... Oh, yeah. It just wasn't very play... Like, a lot of people didn't really play it. No, everyone um, I, I knew like had I it like it only bought it for Crisis Core, and then I never touched it again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the reasons the Game Boy did so well in comparison to everything else, whether it's the 90s and the 2000s and, and whatnot, Nintendo handhelds, is everybody else was so concentrated with, like, the Game Gear, the Neo Geo in the 90s. They wanted mm -hmm. to see if they could take and make that Sega Genesis-level experience mobile, and it made the games yeah. crap. Nintendo yeah. just decided, look, let's make Pokemon. It's not as advanced as what we bring at home, but it brings a whole different social aspect to it. And if you mm -hmm. had a Game Boy, you had Pokemon. If you wanted Pokemon, yeah. you needed a Game Boy, and that was all there was to it. Yeah, and the first party support it, was it, even even like the Mario games, the Zelda and all that, they were unique experiences created just for the Game Boy to just make sure that it worked on the hardware and it was effective. But if you want to go back, and I'll make the argument, if there was never a Pokemon, I don't think the Game Boy and the handheld market would have ever taken I'm with you. I agree 100%. Pokemon is, I think, what caused the handheld market to take off. I they, mean, was, yeah. I mean mm -hmm. Tetris they was great. Really, I know Tetris sold a lot. but um, it They was, really aim that at kids, though, too. Yeah, and it was personal. Here's, here's the neat thing for parents to invest into a Game Boy is, one, if you had a long cart ride, your kid, you mm -hmm. tell your kid to shut up, play the Game Boy, and they're happy for five hours, you know, or whatever the cart ride is. On top of that, it was it was just an easy way to do it, and the Game Boy, I think by the color, was more affordable at the point. Yeah, my, um, you could afford more. I didn't have a Game Boy until the SP, so, <laughs> but like, I, that tells you how young I am. Um but no, I, I had one until the uh, Game Boy Advance, to be honest. Yeah, I had the I, I had the square one, the little square one after the Advance, yeah. and yeah, I, I that thing was a godsend. Them. And I I'm so glad that we have Nintendo handhelds and we had the Game Boy Advance because I have been replaying a lot of GBA games lately, and I think some of them are magnificent, especially for how little the cartridges and all that they still were engineered perfectly in my opinion so yeah it was the big thing is that like especially like how today with mobile games all the like little mindless puzzle games are the ones that are popular and i think that's kind of almost in the same vein of what they did with mm -hmm. nintendo and the game boy is like with tetris you can play it and when you're done you're done like you don't yeah. have to like worry too much about it and you can just kind of play it mindlessly in the background 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was neat, and then you didn't have to worry about memory cards or anything like that because they were cartridges, so you had your save right. file on there. Yep. So you saved your Pokemon game. You had just your little files built in, and I mean everything worked. It was it was just this neat thing. You took it everywhere. Parents were happy. Their kids were out of their hair. It made uh it it probably reduced the numbers of are we there yet? Um, yeah, for sure. You know, for that, um, and the neat part about the accessory was is the attachable lights were kind of cheap too. They had these little turtle shell ones that were probably like fifteen right. bucks. That's that what you I had. Yeah, and they were they were cheaper. Now things were becoming more affordable in terms of handheld gaming. Whereas the Game Boy, the original one, was this massive chunk of big technology that they just didn't have stuff for. But by the color, they were like, okay, it's even there. So now you didn't have to worry about waiting for the damn street light uh, mm-hmm. to come by. So you could right. move your character half an inch in Pokemon. Um, you could just play it in the dark, and okay. so. Um, well, and some of was, them had car adapters too. Yeah, they did. Yes, they yeah, did have car yeah. adapters. You could, you could buy a. Uh, there was like a little pack for it that you could stick on the back, a rechargeable pack, and you had yeah, like a little uh, uh, power cord for it. You'd stick into the back, and you could stick it into the the cigarette lighter thingy in the mm-hmm. car. <laughs> It'd be uh it was it was really cool. It was it was really neat how Nintendo revolutionized, you know, the handheld gaming and really popularized it. I Absolutely. think that's why they still became the gods of handheld gaming over time. Yeah. Is because they just it know and it, it still shows in their current uh in their current console. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is perfect. And the idea is is they were never gonna not have Pokemon be portable. So right. you know, Pokemon moves to primary consoles because you can finally take Pokemon wherever you go with the stand. The handheld and Pokemon was always the bread and butter for the handheld. Every kid was going to go mm-hmm. grab the Pokemon game. It was mm-hmm. what carried those systems, and then they could publish other Mario games and even Mario Kart versions. And you know, third-party developers would kind of get in on it too because it was neat. Kids were loving it, and you just saw the popularity of it, and you could make all kinds of things with it. I think and, you saw a lot of right. licensed, like uh, yeah. Nickelodeon, Disney mm-hmm. oh, themed yes. games for, mm-hmm. especially like the later on you get. Disney yeah. came out with an 8-bit kart racer um, on the uh, Game Boy Color that I played, and it had like unlockable characters like Jiminy Cricket and Chip and Dale and stuff like. And Jiminy Cricket was like always the hardest computer to race against. You would right. absolutely demolish people. <laughs> so like, as a- I really hate to interrupt what we're like talking about with the handhelds. Uh, I know we're gonna go deep deeper into that in our later 90s episodes, but uh, we are. <laughs> are like slowly running out of time so i want to move on a little bit okay to that's fine yeah to uh so 90s culture is a lot it's still kind of the same but it's still like it we still had a lot of like bullying and like like being an outcast for gaming and like gamer culture was so different and all of that Mm -hmm. so like i know we were a lot gamers were bullied back then or we were told oh it's so childish or oh like it's so bad for you and all that so what yeah what were some of your experiences with that like and then like in the 90s i i guess well as a as a male um for the most part you know besides like the sports players mostly everybody i hung out with and knew played video games to some degree um Adults definitely did not and didn't understand it. Um, My dad was really obsessed with Tetris and, you know, those types of games. But I did not personally experience a ton of bullying until it was until it came to the console war stuff. Okay. And then it was like full on. Yeah. And then it was like full on. 
All right. How about uh, Katie or Kayla? What, what was it like on uh, your end? Um, I know we. One of the things we're covering. I'll let Katie go first. Um, okay. She hasn't really talked a lot, though. So. I know, and I know women have. Yeah. Um, I know being uh, being a girl and being into video games has been hard, even even in modern times, it's difficult. So oh, how for sure. In the '90s, trying mm. to do it. I know you guys get too much crap today, but I mean, I'm sure it, was it worse back then than it is now? I think it's about the same. Really. I think it was worse. Well, I mean, I started in the 2000s, so I mean, go on, Kate. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I, so I, sorry. I'm so rude. Go on. I, um, I know with with me, I didn't experience at least too much direct bullying that I can remember. But I also hung out with guys much more often than I did girls because just my mm-hmm. interests were more aligned with guys anyway. Yeah. Um So. I hung out with people that played video games for the most part. And to be honest, like I was, I've always been the weird redheaded girl or whatever. So I, uh, I don't know if it's just, I didn't care as much because by the time I got to high school, like I've video games have been a part of my interest for as long as I can remember. But by the time I got to high school, I just, didn't care about what people thought and I was an idiot on purpose because it was fun so if they were saying stuff about me it was behind my back yeah (laughs) not not straight to my Uh, face like with me I know I had the same thing I was more friends with guys because of the same like everyone was in the Pokemon like like Pokemon Mm -hmm. was like the big thing and everyone was into that but I wasn't in the Pokemon as much as everyone else was. I was in the more like PlayStation 1 games like RPGs. And mm-hmm. I was like I think it really determined what kind of games you played too. Yeah. It was like the whole console war thing and all that. For sure. Yeah, like well, we had a we had a really weird dynamic at least mm-hmm. like in my um in my specific grade because I remember like in 4th grade which was 94 which makes it super easy to remember when I went to school. Um, Like, everybody was really, really into, like, X-Men trading cards. And I mean, like, even, like, the quote-unquote popular girls were into X-Men trading cards. Yeah, it was really, really strange. So I think that might be another kind of weird maybe regional i'm not trying to be a jerk did you grow up in like a different timeline than i did (laughs) you could have said anything else and i'm like okay that's the x i didn't even know they had x-men pokemon trading cards were like yeah yeah i played i traded pokemon cards yeah pokemon cards were like our thing (laughs) yeah no okay so i'm older than that i'm way older than that pokemon came out when i was in high school Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> As in middle school, yeah, yeah I, I it was Pogs when I was a kid, so oh, like yeah. video games. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah! Oh my so, gosh! Yes. Yeah, we had. Why don't you tell us what it was like? So Katie had apparently lived in a parallel dimension. Um, yeah, she, I think she did. What? I actually. It was weird. Like around certain people, I could be very, very open about loving video games and being a gamer and stuff like that um but overall like in school in general like i kind of had to keep that to myself because 
you know, you'd get teased or I'd get told a lot like, oh, you're only, I mean, it's kind of the same yeah. in the sense of like, like you know, you get told I only play games for the boys' attention. Yeah. Like, no, I'm playing it for Squall's attention, please. Yeah. Like, that's the only boys' attention I want right yeah. now. <laughs> um, about Squall was, uh, it's still it. like that today. You get it. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it's similar, but it was worse in the sense that it was just, like, you didn't have other girls to defend no. you. Like, because we were all kind of, if there were other girl gamers back then in my school and stuff, I really didn't know because sure. none of us were super vocal about it. Um, you got teased if you were a gamer. You were only doing it for the boys. Um, you tell a boy, you know, like, oh, yeah, I freaking love, I don't know. Pokemon games, Mario, whatever. And then next thing you know, you're on Jeopardy. And you have, like, if you oh, don't know every yeah, single little thing, then yeah. you're fake gamer girl. Yeah, you're, you yeah. don't know what you're talking that. about. Like, and it was really frustrating. So, but then as I got older, I finally got to the point where I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I really love video games. If you think I'm a fake, then, I mean, that's your own issue. Yeah, and now, you know, we've got other girls that are like, they openly talk about it. They'll come to your rescue and help you out and be like, no, I love this game too. Like, and it's a lot more accepted. They do. It still happens a lot. That's why I have fake gamer girl in my bio. (laughs) Yeah. So I will say, I guess that kind of opens my eyes to some degree because I didn't know a lot of female gamers and that's probably because they didn't talk about it. No. Yeah. See, like you look back at it and yeah, We really didn't. We kind of kept it to ourselves. And really only like our true friends really knew that we were like gamers because it's just like it wasn't something girls could really talk about, especially I mean, I have like self-esteem issues and stuff, so I never really thought of myself as like conventionally attractive, but a conventionally like attractive person growing up and the girl, um, if you said you liked video games, oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Like how in weird. the 90s, I wasn't allowed to tell anybody else I like Powerpuff Girls. Now it's like, you can like whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But yeah, back then, it was sure. very boy versus girl. You know, oh, boy's yeah. rule, girl's rule, girl's rule, boy's rule. I mean, we still experience yeah. that today, but not to the degree it was. Not, yeah, not to the not degree. To it was crazy. It's a lot 90s. more shamed these days. I, yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's not very well, acceptable. Yeah. It's more acceptable of that, and it doesn't have to be about boy versus girl. And a lot of right. guys I've noticed will stick up for, like, not to just simp or whatever. Like, I don't. Yeah, mean, not like white knight us or yeah, anything. Yeah, they don't white no. knight us, but they're, they're like, hey, dude, like, you're being stupid. Like, a lot of guys yep. just don't tolerate. It. like just get right. over it you know yeah yep. it's the 20 here's the reality is it's 2021 this should have never been an issue to begin with but never should have known the idea is is interest anybody's interests should not be nobody no change for their interest and we've promoted this no. on this podcast a lot and we still stand this this um that everybody should be treated equally and everybody should be respectful of other people's interests nobody is lesser than you for being interested in something and it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. it is now anime on the other hand Mm-hmm. interested in whatever the hell they want yeah. and it's okay yeah. because it's what brings them joy and let's be honest because they're into some game that you're not it's not doing anything to you but for some reason you're making yeah. it a problem and what you really need to do yeah. is stop being a dick go play the video games grow up <laughs> i mean it, it exactly it's it's not rocket science okay 
It, it really isn't, and it, it does get annoying after a I while. More so than anything, I, I know there's obviously 100% some misogynistic thought process behind it for it, too. But at the end of the day, it boils down to somebody's own insecurities about their own mm -hmm. obsessive need for something like if you don't know everything that i know about final fantasy 7 it's probably because you're a girl because if you're a guy you'd love it as much as i do yeah yeah exactly. right and, and then whatever. like you you know you're only playing it to impress other people yeah. like you're not but even paying attention to what's going on or like middle your, your, your older brother played it and you just watched him or something yeah. like that i mean i'm my brother doesn't even play final fantasy like no let me let me tell you here, what is uh, absolutely hilarious about like the whole idea of i'm playing this to impress somebody else then why yeah, are you how just, like, stupid is that yeah, why are you making fun of me then yeah like, the i'm trying to impress you time to do that first of all <laughs> I mean, first of all yeah who has uh, by the way it, it is kind of hard to, to dedicate a lot of all of your extra it, it's like an almost like a gym office prank type thing where you like dedicate a shit ton of your free time to go out of your way to go do something to somebody else and honestly as gamers I like that. As gamers, we all know people who do not play video games and do not understand them. Could you ever in a million years see them picking up a video game to impress some boy or girl? No. If you don't like video games, you're not playing video games. It's, it's like a serious forever. dedication. Yeah, the, exactly. It is. It is. Oh, man. And all the here's money. Yeah, come on. If you're, uh, if somebody's hating on, you know, what, what Bill said here is that, you know, if you don't know every single thing about Final Fantasy, I can promise you that she and Kayla, um, with as much as I've talked to them, could <laughs> out-knowledge anybody in just about any, she with, I know, Final Fantasy IX and Tactics for sure, Kayla with Final Fantasy VIII, they could both just mm -hmm. drop, kick you to the ground, still taking everybody you back that you probably wouldn't even know wait, about what, from your motherfucking basement. What? What? You talking shit, Bill? I said, <laughs> taking out everybody here in Blitzball. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, do the Kayla, K speaking of, I, I know it's a tangent real quick, and I think it's a good way to end, because I think it's funny. Kayla, well, don't forget our question, too. Kayla was thinking about this great idea for a Final Fantasy <laughs> game where it's all the mini games, and you can play yes. them against people. Like, <laughs> yeah, but it's there's a really good idea. Good I will not party, play Blitzball. But... I will not play Blitzball. <laughs> I will teach you to play Bullet Ball. Okay, we need works. a whole episode dedicated to how messed up that Square Enix made a multiplayer version of Triple Triad, and it's paywall locked to three games a game. Three games <laughs> a game. <laughs> Look oh it up. My, There's oh an gosh, app on your phone stupid. called Final I Fantasy. I played it, and it, yeah, it's stupid. It's awesome. It's, I hate it. It's awesome, but you can only play three times a day unless you give them $10 for coins. Yeah. That's I'm horrible. Dude. That's, that's, that's some capitalistic. No, I just want, I just want, like, all the mini, like, just all the mini games. And not Choke what they have on Final Fantasy XIV, because I don't want to go play an MMORPG to Same. get to it. I just want, like, a standalone, yep. just mini games, like, a party game that you can play, like, local co-op or, like, Mario online co-op. You ruin all your friendships. <laughs> yes. Blitzball. I mean, and I then Bill and I can beat each other in the face of Blitzballs. <laughs> I mean, that's let's literally just, what it would be, though. It's literally the Mario Party of Final okay. Fantasy. Everybody would get together, and you all would be—you all wouldn't be friends by the end of the by the end of the. <laughs> but I'm so glad we. There's are. so many things Square should do with Final Fantasy that they have not done yet. Oh, they have so much they can expand into. I like. I love Square, so but they're huge cash cows, and you would they're think terrible. that they would take advantage of this.
Yeah, yes. they, they, they well, we'll have they, a we'll have a separate conversation about that another time. I know we're yeah. wrapping up, but let's, yeah. let's move on to our let's move on to our last question, so we don't we don't lose our time. So, um, all right, all right. So everybody's go around. So, what was your first game on a ninety system? So we'll go ahead and start with Matt, and uh, tell us what your first game was. Just give us a really short synopsis of the game and you, how you liked it. Well, I mean, my first game on a nineties console was Super Mario Bros. The original Super Mario Brothers. Okay. Um, because the Nintendo came out in the 90s uh, for me, because I'm in the United States. So when it dropped in 1990, uh, I had already played Mario Bros., which was the same game in the arcade. Uh, but to play it at home with basically exactly the same was, there was nothing like it. Nothing in the world. All right, awesome. And uh, Chi, go ahead and, uh, what was your first 90s uh, uh, game? So the first one I actually played, I think, uh, does it have to be a 90s game? Does it have to be a 90s game? Yes. Ah, damn it. So I played... So the first... Okay, so the first game I played that's on a 90s console was Final Fantasy IX, but that game came out in 2000, so I can't say it. So I want to say the first game after that was Spyro Year of the Dragon? Which was, Heck yeah. Yeah, I, you, you can see my age. I was born in 93, so... I, I like to consider at least up until... 2004 to be the late 90s personally we're not gonna get into that debate all right katie go ahead and say your game i'm gonna cut that argument off right now um my first 90s game if it was it was probably super mario brothers then with it coming okay. out okay Awesome. So we got two Super Mario Bros. Um, all right, now Kayla, what was yours? What was Bill's? Oh, Bill. Oh, God. <laughs> Are we doing me or Bill? I didn't skip him. Everybody's spawn here. Okay, okay, Kayla. Kayla, you go first. Okay. Um, so mine was Sonic Two. Um, it was pretty much the first game I ever played. I was five years old. Um, I feel like I have probably played other games, but. My mom came home with the Sega and Sonic 2, and it was her for her. She bought it for herself, and I remember watching her play, and then I kicked her off for, like, ever. And then it was just, I was it on was it over. all the time. Nice. And it was over. It was. I, that's what made me become a gamer and everything was just, I sat down, and I never stopped. <laughs> there you go. That all right, sucks, now, Bill, yeah. well, we're, we're, we'll, uh, we'll get you saving the best guest for last. All right. So oh, wow. the earliest I'm thing yeah, I'm, <laughs> the earliest thing I can remember having because I've had video games since before I was born. I inherited the consoles from my parents. Um, is I remember living in that house in East Boston with like pretty much my whole family and playing Super Mario World. And the funniest, most enjoyable part of Super Mario World is watching two grown adults, my dad and my mom's sister, my aunt, uh, vicariously fight and talk trash to a four-year-old about each other, about the exits and secrets they found in Super Mario World in an attempt to prove to that four-year-old that they were the best Super Mario World so player. Wanna, and still to this day, it's amazing. I want to take back awesome. my answer. I did play Duck Hunt. I don't know if that was 90s. That is a 1990s game in yes, the United States. Yes, I did play Duck Hunt when I was like four. So. Okay, so there you go. You got it. Counts. <laughs> Counts. All right. I hate Duck Hunt. I do too. I hate I the do. dog. Yeah, I know. It's I hate dog. the dog. The guy is so loud. Like, I cry when you kill 
animals and things like that in games. And I used I to point that gun at that dog every time dog. I laughed at yep. me. <laughs> Try to kill that stupid dog. Who didn't point that dog? And now he's a Smash Brothers character. It makes me feel better to know that everybody's done it. Everybody hated that stupid dog. Everybody hates the dog, yeah. That's why we have esteem issues, because that stupid dog laughed at us. It's true. Yeah. The dog was the original bully. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so mine was, believe it or not, is uh, here's your third Super Mario Bros. I first played Super Mario Bros. on the original Nintendo back in uh, when I started gaming. I was almost three, so I was like, I was two, was like ninety six. So in ninety six, mm-hmm. I was playing the original Super Mario on uh, the original Nintendo. Oh, well, so, that makes me feel oh, me. Me too. <laughs> so I think we had a really good episode. I know we had a lot. Oh. oh, all right. Well, well, that. And we'd like to congratulate our new host, uh, Matt. Thank Kayla. you. Thank you very much for Thank uh, you. being a part of. Uh, yeah, we're we're honored to have you. We're looking Guys, forward to. You. I'm sorry, but my Love computer it. did the thing again. So you're gonna have to repeat what you said. <laughs> okay, I'll repeat it anyway. All right. So that's all uh, I was gonna say. So that's all the time we have today for our uh, '90s episode. I'd like to thank um, Kayla and Matt. Uh, Thank Congratulate you. them again for being a uh, co-host with us again. We're really looking forward I'm to doing so our future excited. episodes with you. Um, you guys have been great. We love you. And uh, I think well, you guys are here to take us to the next level. Um, Katie and uh, Bill, we're really happy to have you on as guests today. By the way, you're both phenomenal. And we're hoping we will have you back again um, if you're interested. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Sure. I'll try to talk more. Oh. It's okay. <laughs> I talk too much. It's so very your first time. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of barge your way through these guys yeah. and just say, hey, it's my turn to talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't be afraid to bitch slap Kayla, Chi, and Matt. It's it's okay. Yeah. I... You have full permission to tell me to shut up and smack me. Um, so anyway, well, we're really grateful. Um and remember, um, if you enjoyed the content today, please remember to follow uh, the Gaming United podcast at uh, GU underscore podcast. Uh, um, and I will on post Twitter. everyone's info in the YouTube description, and I will post everybody's information on Twitter. So if you want yeah. to figure out who we are, come follow us on Twitter. We're all obnoxious and weird and talk about random things. So It's true. Some of us shit post. Some of us smell games. Some of us um, draw. Some of us do a variety. Some of us dance to us PlayStation do. reveals. That's true. Oh. Some of them do dance. Some of them cry. Um, <laughs> all of us cry. Let's be honest. All of us cry. All of us cry. Some of us say, "Oh, is that directed at me?" <laughs> no, I mean you should have seen. My nieces oh. were laughing over my crying, like I'm bawling at the Horizon Two reveal. Um, and I'm what seventy-seven years old or something, so it never ends. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, I'll uh, and then uh, finally, some of us uh, cuddle many kittens at the same time. So that there, that's oh, yeah. the one that's directed at Kayla. Don't forget about me. I sexually <laughs> harassed uh, celebrities on Twitter. So oh, okay, yes, Bill has sexually harassed celebrities on Twitter. So if you enjoy that kind of content, he's right up your alley. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for having us today. And I'm sorry about the blips in some of the parts of this episode. I don't know. I think it's because me and Cthulhu are on at the same time. And yeah. Um, Yeah. So see you next time, everybody.